Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Clearance. The Starlight Lounge presents an evening with the progressive box. The moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi oh! This next one's for you too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast, and a happy 2017 to you all. Hope you all had a great holiday season, and hope you've been enjoying the NBA in our absence. Before we get started here, be sure to check us out on Twitter at TheNBAPod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles as well, so be sure to give us a follow. Also, check us out on iTunes. Please feel free to subscribe, to download, leave us. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Some reviews. We'd love to hear feedback. And we are being hosted this year on FanRag Sports. So check them out on Twitter, at FanRag Sports. And for the NBA-centric account, is just at Fan Rag NBA. With all that said, today I'm joined by, as always, Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two? It's been good. It's going well, Brian. How about you? Doing well, Sarah. Did you emotionally recover yet from Tim Duncan's retirement ceremony? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting there. I, it's it's nice to have had that moment to kind of, I don't want to say close the door. It still sounds horrible. Uh, <laughs> but But thank him, at the very least, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I that. didn't. <laughs> you you did I not didn't. enjoy yeah, the retirement yeah. ceremony. It's rough. Oh, I definitely enjoyed it, but I I'm still emotionally drained from it because that was just beautiful. That was the perfect yeah. send off in every measurable way. Yeah, I was watching clips of it. You know, I it was, that was my birthday. Spoiler alert! So I did not <laughs> actually see the game uh, or the retirement ceremony, but I spent the final few minutes of my birthday in bed on Twitter watching clips from the Spurs Twitter account and it did seem did seem like a very good way to send him off. I was glad I was glad curmudgeonly pop even showed his soft side mm-hmm. for a minute, which we will talk about a little later as well. 
Uh, we're going to dive right in now to our since last time segment. You know, we've been gone for a couple weeks, uh, so a lot of things have happened. The biggest one, uh, Morton, we need to just go right to your Chicago Bulls. Surprisingly, the Rajon Rondo experiment took a negative turn. Uh, Fred Hoiberg yeah. benched him for the second half of a game, and he has yet to see the court ever since. He's been inactive for three or four games now. Michael Carter-Williams is starting in his place. Uh, after the benching, I mean, to Rondo's credit, he's been surprisingly positive, at least more so than he was when things went sour in Dallas. He did say he met with Garth Foreman and John Paxton and didn't receive a clear-cut message about the benching, whereas <laughs> the Bulls officials reportedly think they were very clear about his need to stay positive. So that's a fun subplot already. Uh, he did say he's open to a trade, and according to Joe Varden of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, the Cavs are reportedly watching the Rondo situation as... The Bulls, they beat the Cavs last night, Wednesday, uh, and afterward, LeBron was complaining about them not having a veteran backup point guard because Kyrie's been hurt, so they've had to really rely on rookie K. Felder a lot. So, you know, Rondo, who knows what happens there. Mort, I'm going to, I mean, I think we all know you are not surprised by what's happening here, but how do you see this whole situation being resolved? Do you think they are able to trade him by the deadline? Do you think they buy him out? Do you think they keep him until next year and hope he can resuscitate his value? I think he's going to get bought out because as of right now, he has negative value. And let's just clarify, negative value means that you have to give up something of significance alongside Rondo to actually ship him off. So you could like attach a first-round draft pick to Rondo and then someone would take him because the first-round draft pick would actually work as a sort of payment in order to take him. The Bulls are... I don't believe they're that stupid, um, <laughs> even though they did sign Rondo in the first place. So I, I can't believe that they're going to do that, uh, but I do believe that they're going to try to work out some sort of buyout. And LeBron, if he gets his wish and Rondo becomes a Cav, then LeBron is not the best general manager in the game because Kay Felder is better than Rashawn Rondo at this point, I would argue. I would rather see the ball go through the hands of Kay Felder than I would Rashawn Rondo because at this point, he's a complete flameout. He should be in China alongside Josh Smith. So, Mort, talk to us here about what has gone wrong for Rondo in Chicago. Why... Why isn't this working out aside from the obvious spacing concerns that we all had coming into the year? Well, that that is the cause, the spacing concerns. He's actually been pretty uh, great in terms of um, handling teammates and and not being a dick to the media. <laughs> he, he's, he seems to be like, well, you know, you got to give him credit. That yeah. was a problem once before. And fair enough, he did, I believe, throw a towel at Jim Boyland. And that was pretty ridiculous. But outside of that, he's been decent and i'll give him credit for that but it's just when he's on the court it's everything comes to a stop he's a ball dominant guard who doesn't score who squeezes out fake assists um just he grabs a lot of rebounds that's positive but they don't really need that a whole lot because they got a lot of capable rebounders already so that that supposed uh asset of his being a great rebounder is kind of nullified 
when he can shoot an open jump shot and when he can space the floor, uh, the floor via, via three-point shot or even get to the line, I think Jason Pat from uh, our side today's fast break uh, of fan rack said he had been one for five from the free throw line in December. <laughs> like that's when you, when that, that means that you're not a weapon offensively as a jump shooter, mm-hmm. as a slasher or as a free throw shooter, meaning you have zero offensive game. You, you can't do that in today's NBA. Look, look at how the point guard position has changed. Fair enough. In the 80s, it was all about, hey, I'm a point guard. It's my responsibility to get people going, yada, yada, yada. No more. Not today. In today's game, you need a point guard who can hang 20. Yeah. Rondo, he may be able to hang 20 in a month. <laughs> wow. That's the problem right there. And also, he's an abysmal defender. I mean, I know the uh, his reputation says otherwise, but... Just watch a game. So many blow bys. I mean, James Harden compared to Rajon Rondo looks like a all defensive candidate. <laughs> it's so horrid, Brian. Yeah, so it's safe to say Bulls fans are out on the Rajon Rondo era. I think you're right, more that at this point he does have negative trade value and they're just gonna have to buy him out. Luckily they didn't guarantee the full salary next year. I believe it's only three million guaranteed, right. so yeah. you know, especially with the cap going up so significantly that's it's a negligible price to pay to get him off of the team. Uh, in the meantime, Car- Michael Carter-Williams uh, is now their starting point guard. He's been playing fine. You know, he's whatever. Uh, yeah, whatever. I, yeah. yeah. I don't think he's your long-term option, but he's passable. So we'll see. We'll keep an eye on Rondo in the coming weeks. To, first, to see if he even gets on the court. And then second, to see where he ends up. Uh, either after the trade deadline or before. Maybe some team gets really desperate. Uh, Another big piece of news that came out from ESPN.com's Mark Stein and Brian Windhorst on the trade front is that the Atlanta Hawks are fielding trade offers for Paul Millsap. He is set to be a free agent at the end of the year, and after losing Al Horford for nothing last year, last summer, they're apparently scared of the same outcome for Millsap. For whatever it's worth, Millsap told Chris Vivlamore of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, quote, I think everybody knows where my heart is and where I want to be. And then when asked if that meant Atlanta, he said yes. So Sarah, should the Hawks, who have won four straight, and they're now the number five seed in the East, be willing to trade Millsap between now and February 23rd? You know what I will say, first of all? I don't appreciate the timing of when that rumor came out because it came out the day that they played the Spurs. And I swear <laughs> he read about it at halftime and then proceeded to torch the Spurs in the second <laughs> half. Um, at first I thought like he was auditioning because he wanted to be a free man. Apparently he wants to stay. Um, so maybe he was trying to show them that he should stay. I don't know. It probably had nothing to do with it, but I'm still mad. Um <laughs> Oh, I, I mean, I guess willing, but if he wants to stay, I'd rather see them hang on to him, honestly. Um, I guess teams should always be open to seeing what they can get back. So I guess it just depends on the return. But so, you know, sure, open to depending on what they can get. But I personally would rather see him stay. Yeah, I think how you phrased it makes perfect sense. And, and I, you know, I don't even think, 
Stein and Windhorse did not say they are like actively seeking to trade him. It's mm-hmm. just like they're taking calls on him, which, as you said, any good general manager, there should be very few untouchables in the league. Right. Like, you know, if someone calls for Kevin Durant, you are just going <laughs> to hang up immediately. Uh, there are maybe 10 players in the league who fit that criteria. Maybe. Yep. You know, everyone else, especially given Millsap's contract situation, yeah, if like a team is willing, you know, if Vlade took over the Warriors and offered Curry and Durant for Paul Millsap, you'd damn well better say yes. Right uh, away. <laughs> I, you know, some weird alternate universe where that happens. But uh, yeah, I think what, how you phrase it makes perfect sense that they should be willing to, they should not actively seek to do so. Unless, of course, he has come, you know, he would not be the first person to say one thing publicly and tell the front office something else privately. So if he says, yeah, "Yeah, of course, my heart's in Atlanta, (laughs) if you give me a five-year max deal or else I'm leaving, then you got to explore the market a little bit. So, Morton, I'm going to toss this one to you because you are the crazy trade guy. Uh, Mm -hmm. where, Where do you think the most logical or likely destination for Millsap are or should be if the Hawks do end up trading it. Toronto, but let me just preface this by saying something beforehand. If Atlanta enters trade negotiations with Toronto, the price for Millsap is going to get higher than it would if Atlanta were going to, for example, make it, trade him to Indiana. The reason being, if you're a, a, you know, a, a stone throw away from reaching the finals... Mm-hmm then you can squeeze as much as you can out of an asset. Yeah. So, for example, if you're Toronto, the price would probably be something along the line of Jakob Pertl, Corey Joseph, uh, a first-round draft pick this year, a protected first-round first draft pick in 2019. I haven't uh, looked at the draft picks. I don't know if they have all of them. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure, but just theoretically speaking. Sure. And then maybe Ter- Terrence Ross for just to fill out the salary. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the deal, and that's that's a hell of a lot to give up for Toronto. It's giving up debt. It's giving it's giving up the future, but it's doing so for Paul Millsap. Mm-hmm. I would do that because if you have a core of Valanciunas, Millsap, Carroll, DeRozan, and Lowry, hell yeah! I mean that brings them closer to Cleveland than people would want to admit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ESPN's Kevin Pelton had a thing about Toronto specifically and how Millsap would affect their chances against Cleveland. And he said, basically reached the same conclusion that that's at that point, it's a toss up of a series, you know, especially you never know what's going to happen with Cleveland. Like, you Mm. know, we can't bank on health. So like if one of their big three goes down, the East is now wide open. Uh, So yeah, I mean, I think especially, you know, it, it's tough because in one sense, Millsap is a, a free agent in July, so you don't want to give up too much for him because you're afraid he's going to leave. In the other sense, for Toronto especially, they're going to be capped out for the foreseeable future. So you acquire Millsap right. for his bird rights, basically. You acquire him because you are not going to be able to get a player of his caliber in free agency so you can at least, you know, retain him with his bird rights. Your your salary is going to go into the stratosphere and you're going to be paying luxury tax for the next couple seasons. But, you know, th- this is your best chance to win 
a title or get to the finals for the foreseeable future because Kyle Lowry's 31, you know, uh, DeRozan, he's still in his prime, but like Kyle Lowry is this is the end of his prime. Basically, he's only going to go down yeah. uh, after the next year or two. So yeah, I do think Toronto is the most logical or likely spot. I think Portland makes sense as well, just because they've been having, you know, such struggles, especially lately, and they could use another front court player. They have a glut of backcourt guys. I know more. You mentioned, uh, you know, Alan Crabb as a person who could go back um, to Atlanta. Denver is also a fun one if they just want to consolidate some of that. You know, the, Denver's problem is they have like eleven or twelve rotation caliber players, and they mm. just don't know <laughs> which ones to use. So, like, they've got a a couple guys who could be expendable, but still have value in the right situation. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on Millsap because that could make this trade deadline a lot more fun than I, th- I think last one was kind of a dud, if I remember correctly. So a, a superstar trade like Millsap would be uh, pretty interesting. And let's be clear, Millsap is a superstar. I've been seeing stuff on Twitter about how, like, oh, why would you give up so much for Paul Millsap? Paul Millsap's like a top 15, top 20 player in the league. He's fantastic yeah. just because he's in Atlanta and doesn't get the national love that, you know, the Bay Area guys do or the guys in Cleveland do. He is a fantastic, well-rounded player who would be a great fit on just about any team. You give up the bank for Paul Millsap. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, we're <laughs> we're, we're going to go right back to your Bulls. <laughs> Along with this Rondo oh. nonsense... Uh, ESPN.com's Mark Stein reported Fred Hoiberg may be on the hottest seat in the league. Uh, Hoiberg didn't sound all that concerned once the report broke. Uh, The report came out last Friday. Hoiberg last Friday said, someone just mentioned something to me about that. You know, I don't know anything about it, so I'm not going to comment on it. So, Mort, I'm going to let you rant here. Should the Bulls be considered moving on from Hoiberg? Or should Garpax be the first to go? You both watched The Simpsons, right? Or have watched? Yes. Yeah. Um, Can we agree that the prime of The Simpsons was at least 12 years ago? Yes. And it ended 12 years ago? (laughs) And it's just been running these last 12 years on reputation alone? With apologies. Apologies to Sean Hyken, but yes. Yeah. And just... It's it's solely built on the glory of the past, <laughs> where they were the winners of every TV award. Yeah, I think. I- yeah, I think I just said everything I wanted to say there, Brian. <laughs> okay, so you are in team fire Garpax and let Hoiberg be Hoiberg. I am in fire every damn one Ooh. and start over. Here's here's I, I came up with an idea. Based on uh, a tweet from Sam Hingy, you're gonna love this. Oh boy, Mike Saren. Mm. Mike Saren is an upcoming general manager. He's an assistant uh, GM in Boston right now. Mm-hmm. I I want to give Sam Hingy the job of team president, and then hire Mike as the general manager for the Bulls. That would be great. That would be fun. Could you just imagine that pairing? Oh, give man. give Sam Hingy more power. Yeah, and then have a wunderkind in Zaren handling the day to day. Yeah, and dealing with the agents and being yep. the more public face, so Hinky yep. doesn't have to do all that stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's evil. That's that's e- evil. Evil because it's a good idea. Yeah. Right. Like just it, yeah. it would devastate me, but I would be happy for you, and I would be even more of a Bulls fan if they do that in the next two months. I will pressure my wife to stay in Chicago when she's choosing a residency even more than I already will. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I definitely think Garpack should be the first to go. I think, you know, we, we said uh-huh. it in the summer, like, Hoiberg is, he came in with this reputation of being like a fast-paced, space-it-out kind of guy. That's what the offense he ran in Iowa State. They give him a roster with a Rondo Wade Butler backcourt. That is like completely antithetical to his style. It was frankly, we said in the summer, it was a Thibodeau roster. So, you know, I don't know that Hoiberg is the answer. I don't know if he's a good coach because we haven't seen him with the personnel befitting his style. You sh- you know, you can, ar- right. you can argue, well, he needs to adjust and he has, I would say, uh, to mixed results. But I think if you really want to evaluate him, give him a roster that makes sense that like fits with his style because we've seen it the last couple games with Rondo out and Wade, he missed a game and he was limited. Like, you know, Jimmy had that game where he went off for 52 points where he was kind of the point guard. That's that was beautiful by the way. Yeah. That was absolutely beautiful. Jimmy with shooters is a great strategy. They just ran him like James Harden. Right. Yeah. It's like, that was, you could kind of see that, if that style of offense was what Hoiberg's system is, why have they not been doing that the whole time? So I would personally give him one more year with a roster that makes more sense around him uh, before giving him the X. But yeah, I think Garpax. I'm going to leave that up to Sam Hinkie though. Yeah. <laughs> That's not my decision. I'm going to leave that up to Sam Hinkie. Sam Hinkie's loyal, man. He, he's, he, he knows the value of loyalty after uh, this Sixers nonsense. So we'll we'll keep an eye on Hoiberg and all the mess that's surrounding the Bulls right now. Uh, another saga that is actually finally over, Donatus Matayunas is finally has signed with the team. It will not be rescinded, unlike the Brooklyn <laughs> deal. Uh, Houston released his rights, you know, once they matched his Brooklyn offer sheet, and then he failed their physical again. So he signed a one-year minimum deal with the Pelicans on Tuesday, and he has passed his physical. There are no concerns. He is a New Orleans Pelican. You can make jokes about the Pelicans medical staff all you want because <laughs> they they have quite a spotty record as of late, so Godspeed to his back. But, Sarah, I want to ask you, what do you think Mati Yunus brings to New Orleans specifically? And do you think if he can stay healthy, if he becomes a consistent rotation player, will he be enough to help them win the number eight seed that no one seems to want? <laughs> that's that's kind of the the question yeah i mean co- considering how incredible that that battle is what that situation is it, it's so many teams under 500 somebody's probably gonna get that spot under 500 hey it's anybody's to win at this point like you said nobody seems to be stepping up to take it at the moment <laughs> right. but um i mean he's a skilled player he uh Strong body, strong base. He's got good footwork. He's got a nice little hook shot. He can step out and hit the three. Uh, never been a huge rebounder, but certainly can help a little bit in that area. Um, I mean, he, he definitely can help them. I think he could put them into that eighth spot. 
Uh, he's got a long way to go, probably conditioning-wise. You know, he's been out of the game for a while, but um, you know, he definitely could help take some pressure off of AD, which God bless. You know, <laughs> we all want to see that happen for him. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that will happen. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's a skilled player. I'm glad to see him finally, hopefully, get back to the league here and and to playing. But I mean, can we talk about how much money he lost? Oh my God! Yeah, yeah I was waiting on bummer. that. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, his agent did not do him any favors. Just Mm-mm. as a rem- B.J. Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's his agent. Yeah. As a reminder, he could have had upwards of thirty-five million dollars over four years. Instead, he signs for a one-year minimum deal. That said, if he plays well and stays healthy, you know he he could hit an even bigger jackpot this summer. So yeah. we'll have to go back, you know, six months from now to see <laughs> how this saga actually ends and if he finds a long-term home. But yeah, so far, uh, not B.J. Armstrong's finest moment as an agent. One more thing before we get into our deep dive section. All-Star Game Voting, the first update was just released pretty much minutes before we hopped on today. Uh, I want to talk about three, uh, two surprises, I would say, and then one that I'm just very happy about. The The first surprise, which if you followed last year, is actually basically the same story. Zaza Pachulia. Uh, it seems like the Russians are also hacking All-Star Game Voting. Is <laughs> not just the U.S. election because Zaza Pachulia is second in the Western Conference front court votes. He is ahead of, I believe, the only one he's behind is Kevin Durant. Yeah, he's ahead. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's ahead of Kawhi Leonard by almost a hundred thousand, and ahead of sick. <laughs> yeah, ahead of oh, Anthony yeah. Davis by more than a hundred thousand. So reminder that this year the NBA changed the way the voting system works. Fans are only constituting 50% of the vote, uh, and then the media gets 25%, and other players get 25%. So even if Zaza stays second in the West, <laughs> he probably will not be a Western Conference front court starter. Uh, but he might go. be the sole reason for that change. We can thank him and the yeah. con- country of Georgia and <laughs> Vine Stars and whoever else made this happen. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Anyone who's not happy with the change, it's their fault. It's the Zaza rule. Thanks, Zaza. Yeah. Yeah. So otherwise, if the starters were solely based on fan voting right now in the West, it would be Steph, Harden, uh, with Russ, he's only a couple thousand behind, KD, Kawhi, and Zaza. (laughs) In the East, it would be Kyrie, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, Kevin Love, and Giannis, which is another thing. I I just like to celebrate everyone who realizes how well Giannis is playing right now. Uh, Morton, you mentioned him as your most improved player a couple weeks ago. And at first I thought like, well, you know, last year he kind of showed these flashes after the all-star break. He didn't really like jump to mind as uh, an obvious MIP candidate. But now having looked a little deeper into it, like he's blowing the competition out of the water. I think it's, it would be heinous if he did not, win most improved player and also start the all-star game even though it means last oh sorry go ahead Mort. no last time i checked he had a per of 28.8 he's 22 years old yeah he's i mean if you guys haven't seen it yet lee jenkins had a really good uh profile of him from sports illustrated uh with, with an anecdote about how 
I think the first time Jason Kidd like benched him or I think it was when he benched him, uh, Giannis went and looked up his stats. He's like, well, I'm going to see, like, who the hell is this guy? What did he do? And they looked up his stat, his career stats. He's like, oh, oh, I better shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a fun Giannis story. But yeah, I mean, the kid's averaging like 22, 8, 6, 2, and 2, which is unprecedented, especially for its Oh, better than that, Brian. 24, 9, 6, 2, and 2. There you go. Even better. My God. Yeah, so you got a keeper, Milwaukee, and uh, even though it means my boy Joel Embiid is fourth in, MB- in, in uh, all-star voting, so based on fan votes, he would not make it. I would like to say, you guys, he's trying to get a date with Rihanna. He's trying to date Rihanna. He keeps alluding to this like mysterious, I, you know, I'm trying to get a date with my crush. TMZ had a story this week that said his crush is Rihanna, which dates back years since he's been in the league, basically. Uh, he apparently like tweeted at her right when he got in the league, and she said, come back when you're an all-star. So he's now trying to be an all-star for that reason. Uh, and then someone asked Sixers coach Brett Brown about this, uh, relaying this quote from Derek Bodner of Philly Mag. And Brett Brown says, well... If it does, there's another reason for me to try to help promote him. I had a different agenda, but if that's a side benefit for Joel, I can see that. He's got good taste. So, <laughs> hashtag NBA vote. awesome. NBA vote, Joel Embiid. Let's get him. Kevin Love's totally <laughs> deserving as well, and he'll get... He would get in as a reserve either way. So let's get Joel Embiid yeah. as a starter in the All-Star game so he could date Rihanna. Oh, I can I can only support this this whole movement if he uses the opportunity to then curve her back. <laughs> that's that's the natural way that has to work. Once you then yeah. are the all star, you have to say nope, right. sorry, Mr. Yeah. Chance. Yeah, you gotta be in battleship too before I talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so horrible. <laughs> but yeah, like I I would have to agree with Mr. Embiid. He's got you know, it's good taste. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I get it. I I get the whole pursuit. Yeah, I mean, look, he's why not? Why not use your status a little bit? He's been dogged, and I mean, if you guys remember, like when he came into the league, he was like photoshopping himself at dinner with her. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's oh, he's been a great follow yeah. like, from day one. Yeah, it's like he really has. It's been close to stalker, but it's because it's JoJo. It's just funny. So. Again, hashtag NBA vote Joel Embiid. Let's get JoJo at the All-Star game so he can finally get his long-awaited date. Uh, I want to take... We're going to go into our deep dive section now. We basically covered every team outside of the major contenders, so we're going to move into the contenders today on the East, and then next time we're going to touch on the big ones in the West. Before we do the two big ones in the East, we need to talk about the Detroit Pistons, who we mentioned a few weeks ago right before Reggie Jackson's return. And, you know, our, our theory was at the time, hey, you know, how is that going to hurt them? They, you know, they're getting their starting point guard back. It's going to be very similar to the Pelicans getting a boost when Drew Holiday came back. Turned out that that is not the case. Uh, since Jackson came back on December 4th, the Pistons are 27th in offensive rating, ahead of only Miami, Philly, and New Orleans, and 19th in defensive rating. Uh, on the season, the Pistons are nearly 10 points per 100 possessions better defensively with Andre Drummond off the court. 
Uh, it's a 98.1 versus on, which is 107.8. Stan Van Gundy, their head coach and team president, just ripped into the team after they lost 121 to 116 to Indiana on Tuesday, saying, quote, I thought our closeouts were bad. We just left people open. It's like we hope people are going to miss early on. We wait to see if we're going to have to make the effort to close out. Marcus Morris in mid-December also threw some shade at Jackson during a players-only meeting, which led to Jackson pouting and playing passively during the first half of the next game. I believe that was against Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, Mort, uh, which Zach Lowe of ESPN called him out on. So, Morton, what? God's name is going on with the Pistons, and do they have any hope of turning their season around? Oh, well, that last one is a tough question because I, I think he's still getting integrated into the offense, and that's where the most of the problems lie. It seems like ball movement kind of stopped when he returned. Mm-hmm. He's pounding the ball a lot. Um, he's taking a lot of shots, and he's, he's just taking up possessions uh, a whole bunch. And it seems like without him, they had some sort of cohesiveness that they are lacking now. Mm-hmm. So, but outside of that, I mean, no, I, I, I do see it as solely him just being reintegrated in the system as as the as the major problem. Whether they can turn around in time, that's the big unknown. Right now, that I believe there are five games below five hundred at this point. Yes. So that's it's not in like an impossible situation. But it's also one that needs a lot of work to to get up and 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 you know get over five hundred and, and significantly above five hundred. If they miss the playoffs, it might not be the end of the world because they could use a good draft pick. Mm-hmm. They could use another youngster to add to this roster. Like there's a guy out there who I think would be beautiful uh, in Detroit, and that's Malik Monk. Oh yeah. From Kentucky, yeah, like he would be great there. So if if this ends up being the consequence that they get a high draft pick and miss the playoffs, I'm sort of good with that. If I'm a Pistons fan, I'm good with that so long as they don't take Malik Monk because he's going on the Sixers. <laughs> they could stay away from Malik Monk, but yes, they they are they are 16 and 21 right now. They're only two and a half games behind the Pacers and the Bulls for the seventh and eighth spot in the East, so they are not out of it by any means. Um, but it does seem like, I mean, Van Gundy is very frustrated with this team. Um, you know, he's been shuffling their starting lineup uh, with some regularity lately. He moved John Luer into the starting lineup a few games ago. Uh, it just seems like he is searching for answers, and you know, I. I I don't want to say they necessarily need to move Reggie Jackson to the bench because you you know you handed the guy a eighty million dollar contract a year and a half ago as your answer to the starting point guard question. Like Ish Smith, maybe it's just Ish Smith is like the perfect journeyman point guard. Like he you know he resuscitated the Sixers for two straight seasons. Like they could not play basketball until Ish Smith came, and then Ish Smith like played really well in reggie jackson's absence so maybe you know maybe it just comes down to jackson emulating smith's style of play a little more i mean jackson has never been he's always been that score first point guard rather than the distribute first score second never had that mindset so maybe he's just got to move into that but it does seem like there are some major problems plaguing this pistons team uh, on both ends of the court, frankly. And it seems like they're allowing their offensive struggles to then affect their focus defensively. 
I don't know what to make of that stat about Drummond, you know, them being 10 points per 100 possessions better with their supposed rim protector on the court. Because, again, like, you just handed Drummond a massive extension. So, you know, I, I think, Mort, you said it well, that their season is not over. They still have plenty of time to figure it out. But, you know, we're, they're nearing the halfway point of the season. So time is ticking for the Pistons uh, well, to get back in the race. On Drummond, just one thing about Drummond. Uh, he's, he's in his, let me see, his fifth year now. Mm-hmm. We were all waiting on him to become this defensive beast. Yeah. Are we about ready to say that he's going to be one of those guys who is continuously going to be a fantastic rebounder and he's going to be like this 15-point guy? He's, he's sort of like going to be a 15-15 guy, mm-hmm. but defensively speaking, he's probably going to tub out as average. Yeah, I'm surprised by, you know, I expected him to be more of a shot-blocking presence than he is. Yeah. And more of like a rim-protecting presence than he is. Um, I haven't delved too deep into what in particular is plaguing him, or whether it's, you know, a product of his teammates leaving him in tough situations and he's got to recover, kind of like what happened with Nerlens Noel a lot last year. Um does it's definitely a concern i would say i mean he is still really young like i think he's only what 24 23 23? so uh you know it takes big men it's it's well known that big men often take a long time before they really hit their stride defensively so it's like i i don't think the ship has sailed necessarily that said it's tough to see him becoming an elite defensive presence at this yeah. point. Like yeah. maybe he tops out at above average uh, in a couple of years, but yeah, I mean, it's a, that is a huge concern right now. Um, and maybe it speaks to how well, you know, their backup bigs have been playing. Like maybe they've just, we, you know, we said that before the season started that they would having Aaron Baines around is going to be a blessing for them. So maybe it's just like, He's playing lights out, but I mean, 107.8, that's toward the bottom of the league defensively. So yeah, uh, that's an issue. He, he could stand to lose some weight as well. Yeah. Like Drummond. Yeah. I, I remember I, I sat next to him for three days oh, right, over right, the summer right. uh, when, when he was in Denmark. And, and uh, I mean, look, he's got an NBA body and, and whatever, but you could see that he would he would benefit greatly from slimming down. If he could lose 20 pounds and get more ripped, he would he would have that extra bounce in his step, mm-hmm. which I think could really help him defensively. At this right now, he's listed at 6'11", 280. Wow. I, I mean, that's a lot of weight to carry around. Yeah. And, you know, he's still, he's athletic at 6'11", 280, yeah, but right. just imagine the athleticism at 6'11", 260. Yeah. Geez, I didn't realize two eighty. Wow, yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. So, well, I mean, again, Pistons fans, I don't think it's time to check out on the season just yet. You still have plenty of time to turn it around, but uh, <laughs> time is definitely ticking. It's, it's disappointing, though. Yeah, because I really liked what they yeah. had going on when Reggie was out. You guys talked about ish, you know. He wasn't scoring especially well or efficiently, but he ran the team really well. Mm-hmm. 
and I did say back then, you know, that there might be some immediate regression when yes. Reggie came back, but I ne- yep. in yes. no way expected this. Yeah. Um, you... And and it's a little worrisome because I don't know. It is kind of going to come down to how flexible he is, and I don't know that he he's that flexible. He has not shown a penchant for being flexible in his career, so we'll see what happens. Right. I'm surprised you haven't uh, just flamethrowed Stan Van Gundy for not playing Boban more. <laughs> I don't know why. Why are you going to poach him and then park him on the bench? I don't know. But no, seven, 76 minutes on the year. He's better than that. Yeah. Come on. I don't get it. But whatever. And the, and the rookie, yeah, the rookie Henry Ellison has played 37 total minutes. Maybe that's actually a, a slight concern as well. Like, they have capable big men mm-hmm. that they might, you know, need to get a, another look at. Like, Henry Ellison, I think he was drafted 18th, right? That's not that's not low. Yeah. And he can shoot the ball at Marquette. At least he, he looked good shooting the ball. You, I know his, his percentages were a little down, but he had good rhythm. It's nice mechanics. I mean, he could be plugged in there and, and help out Drummond a little bit. I, I don't see why... The Van Gundys in general, because Jeff was the same way, or at least he was when he coached. Like, the youngsters, they really have to wait their turns. Yeah. Yeah, it's... there's. I feel like the there's a lot going on behind the scenes in Detroit that we are not privy to, and mm-hmm. that could be contributing to some of this downslide. Uh, so, Sarah, I think you said it well, that it's going to be up to reggie to adjust his playing style um but yeah as as you said he has not really shown much interest in doing that to this point in his career so we'll see what happens in detroit uh cleveland you know aside from their lack of backup point guard depth that lebron complained about on wednesday they're otherwise rolling they're 26 and 8 they're three games ahead of the raptors and have the league's fourth best offense kevin love i mean he has never looked better in Cleveland. He's playing out of his mind, as I, you know, we talked about during the All Star segment. He's very well deserving of the All Star berth that he is going to receive. Uh, and Kyrie Irving is also having a career year. Channing Frye has been a huge pickup for them. Uh, they did lose J.R. Smith for most of the regular season, which is a blow. But they've got some young guys who have been playing well in his stead. So. Sarah, do you think Cleveland is still miles ahead of everyone in the East? And do they have a legitimate shot of toppling the Warriors in the finals? They did beat them 109-108 on Christmas Day. Yes and yes. Um, I mean, it's it's important that they get JR back healthy. Um, yeah. You know, and obviously stay healthy. But yeah, um, I would give them a legitimate shot. And yeah. Uh, unfortunately, even though, you know, I like what the Raptors are doing and, you know, we thought Boston was going to be a little higher than what they've done so far. Yeah, I think Cleveland is still well above everybody else. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't I don't want to, you know, just go off the Christmas game and, and say that I would give them the edge right now over the Warriors, but the Warriors... That turnover problem, I, I can't trust right now. Mm-hmm. So you, you still feel like if I had to bet on one, you know, I keep thinking they're going to figure it out, but they keep throwing passes to the other team <laughs> that make no sense. So 
you know, so far, I would give a slight edge to Cleveland in yeah. that regard. Yeah, I mean, I I think if nothing else, it is closer now than it's ever been before. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, the Warriors entered as a considerable favorite last year, uh, and especially after going up 3-1, the lead that they then proceeded to blow. Uh, at At that point, you were like, oh yeah, this makes sense. They're up through one, of course. Like they, you know, they're just a better team than Cleveland. But I, it does seem like, especially LeBron has figured out ways to pick them apart and like really frustrate them. Maybe he's just like the cerebral aspect of that matchup. He's yeah. exploiting more than uh, the Golden State guys are at this point. You know, I mean, KD I think it makes a big difference not being afraid of them, and they're yeah. very clearly not afraid of the Warriors. Right, it matters. Yeah, because so many teams are just like they go in and get, you know, they expect to get their doors blown off, and then they get their doors blown off, and there's like that psychological hurdle we mentioned with the Clippers and the Warriors. Like, the Clippers haven't beaten the Warriors, and I think that it's been like a couple of years now since they had their last victory over the Warriors. Yeah. Um, and you know they had that game uh, back in December where we got we were so excited, like Clippers Warriors are going to be so fun, and then the Clippers get blown out by twenty points. So, yeah, I think there's definitely some merit to the idea that Cleveland does not fear the Warriors. They know they can beat the Warriors. They know no lead is safe against the Warriors. Um, so I, I'm i with you. I think you know I might be a slave to the moment right now, but I think I would choose Cleveland over Golden State if I had to pick right now. That said, you know, obviously injuries on both sides are going to go a long way toward determining... No, I, I would not. I would not feel comfortable either way locking my pick in now for mm. June because if LeBron goes down, the Warriors. If LeBron goes down, Cleveland's not even making the finals. Uh, if KD goes down, you know it's going to be like four-one Cleveland, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that they are the commanding favorites to make it back to the finals, though, unless. Toronto comes out with Paul Millsap and doesn't have to trade all that much in terms of, yeah. you know, current productive players. Maybe they just trade some fringe guys and some picks. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Toronto and Boston are really the only two teams I could even see giving them a challenge, but it just seems, seems unlikely at this point. So let's talk about Toronto because, you know, we, we mentioned them earlier for the Millsap stuff. Uh, I'd say they've pretty firmly established themselves as the second best team in the East. Boston has been playing better of late, but still Toronto is number two right now. They have the league's second best offense. They're only trailing the Warriors in that regard. Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan are once again heading toward all-star berths. And then they're getting a lot of, they don't have that third star, but they've got a bunch of uh, complimentary contributions from Jonas Valanciunas Mari Carroll, Patrick Patterson, Terrence Ross, Corey Joseph. So we talked about the Millsap thing. Even if that doesn't come to fruition more, do you think they need to make some type of move like that to contend with Cleveland in a theoretical Eastern Conference Finals, or should they just feel comfortable rolling with their current lineup? Well, let me just beforehand say that they have their first guy. They're just not utilizing him properly. That's Valanciunas. Mm. I, I think he is once again being grotesquely underused. Mm-hmm. 
8.8 shots a game? Come on now. His offensive feel around the basket is so great. Like you are just you are going outside too much to DeRozan and to Lowry and you're not creating a proper balance. I I feel as though Toronto would be not significantly better, but at least a small level better if they utilized him more. I think the third guy's there. Having said that, I would still do the Millsap trade as I um, presented earlier mm-hmm. because then you'd just have more weapons. And I think Millsap would kind of unlock Valanciunas a little bit because he's a great interior passer. Could you imagine Millsap on the blo- uh, on the low block? Valanciunas just makes a hard cut. Paul's going to find him right yeah. there. But Lowry and DeRozan, they are just too busy jacking up shots. And I... I yeah, jacking up shots, that sounds negative, because, and it isn't, because it's going in, so it's fair. Right. But you're just ignoring a huge presence. He, he is so talented, and I am actually sitting here wondering, like, next year, if this trend continues, I could totally see Valanciunas demand a trade. Mm. Yeah. He is not getting the near the uh, the amount of shots or possibilities that he should be getting we mentioned him coming into the year as a guy you know he's never played more than 30 minutes a career or per, mm. 30 minutes per game during any season of his career and we thought hey this is finally the year you know they got they lost biombo we didn't think any of the young guys were going to be ready to make a major impact still mm. is under 30 minutes a game and uh actually i'm glad you mentioned him because uh espn zach Lowe, had a great column today that we'll talk about in a little bit about this the NBA's scoring explosion and kind of how uh, teams are going smaller and shooting a lot of threes and if it's gone too far. In there is a quote from Raptors coach Dwayne Casey, and he's talking about JV. He says, if your big guys don't dominate, you have to go small. I tell Jonas, oh, you want to play more? Then dominate. I don't want to see fadeaways over six, eight guys. Get to the rim. Get every offensive rebound. If not, you're coming out. So it seems like... That's fair. Yeah. I can get along with that. So it seems like... I mean, Casey was one of the holdouts of this three-point trend. He's now kind of moved in that direction. He's you know he's playing Patrick Patterson a lot more. He's open to using Damari Carroll as a four as well. It seems like he wants J... I don't think he has like a vendetta against JV. I just think he's trying to push JV into a certain direction and he doesn't necessarily do that all the time. So he's trying to get Valanciunas into that mindset of every time I'm on the court, I need to bully the opposing player. I can't, you know, take a mid-range fadeaway. I need to like back my ass up in the post, get an easy layup, easy hook shot, easy dunk, that kind of thing. Then who's failing? Is it Casey or is it Valanciunas? Because if Casey has argued the, uh, you know, about this for a long time and tried making Valanciunas understand this, mm-hmm. like, at what point is his voice just getting too old? Or is it all on Valanciunas? Like, you have to ask that question. You have to raise it at least. Right. I agree. I have seen Valanciunas take ridiculous shots, but at the end of the day, he's a highly efficient, offensive-minded center. Like if then I would I would just I would play it differently. I would have him out there and I would just not give him the ball unless he's absolutely pissed off. I don't think sitting him is is really doing a whole lot, especially because he's European. Us Europeans are used to getting sit, Brian. <laughs> I mean, we're we're used to not getting a whole lot of minutes. I mean, come on, just put his ass in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a fair and then, point. And then just ignore him. And then just, you know, get Kyle going, get DeMar going until he's absolutely pissed. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, there you go. Go get it. Yeah. I... I will say, like, as a former frustrated big, I I don't like the idea of people just saying, well, dominate. If you want the ball, dominate. No. Like, what the hell are you supposed to do when the guards have the ball the whole time? It's like, well, post up and <laughs> yeah. demand the ball. I can't. How how much can you demand the ball? If they don't want to give it to you, they're not giving it to you. You have to run the guy a few plays, throw him a bone, a few pick and rolls, get him involved. You you can't get yourself involved as a big because you don't have the ball, you know. And this whole demand the ball thing is bullshit to me. So yeah, I will challenge that idea of oh just dominate. Okay, well, <laughs> you know you you got to involve me a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. Like two his two guards, you know, they're, again they're playing at all star level, but they have two of the highest usage rates in the league. I imagine so. Yeah, they've definitely they're wired in the sense of like, all right, we're the top two options. Everyone else get in line behind us. It does seem like, you know, this is a, a fascinating subplot to watch for the rest of the season. Is if they don't make this trade, can they get JV onto that level, or is he just going to be? You know, can they make him into that third option, or is he just going to be a complimentary player like Ross, like Carroll, like Patterson? Because I think that'll go a long way. You know. Cleveland, we've said it for a while now. They don't have a true, like, rim-protecting center. Tristan Thompson is that guy, but they don't have, like, a true dominant. They don't have an Embiid, basically. So if JV can turn into... Valanchunas or Robin Lopez? On both sides of the court? (laughs) I'm just just saying, look, if they're they're not going to use him, and he's not like a defensive presence, just and if that's what they want, then just ship him for Robin Lopez. I'm I'm not going to be the one who underestimates his value, but if Toronto is, then fine. I'll I'll make a call. Yeah, I'll ask. I mean, as long as they include Rondo, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Please, for the love of God, I could just find a local club in Siberia. I'll take him to Be Iceland fine. in a couple of weeks. I'll just leave him there. Yeah, <laughs> local club there. Yeah. yeah, still can't shoot in an open Icelandic game. <laughs> yeah, well, clank, clank. Oh, Rondo's practicing. <laughs> yeah, that it will definitely keep an eye on JV and see what happens with him and if Toronto gets in on this Millsap bidding, if things heat up there. But I think it's definitely something oh. to monitor moving forward. Uh, we're going to now quickly touch on a few things in our Where Amazing Happens segment and then do a few uh, longer things as well. The first, we need to mention James Harden. I think this was on New Year's Eve, right? Uh, he has 53 points, 17 assists, and 16 rebounds. So while everyone's out, revelry. Uh, come mm-hmm. back, check your Twitter account. It's like, oh, James Harden had the first 50-15-15 game in NBA history. Okay, that's cool. It's pretty amazing. Uh, this is just my week. Also better than Kobe's 81. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. It was, I, I forgot, I've seen the set circulating. I don't know who had it, so I apologize in advance. But it was like the second. Kelly Scaletta. Was that Kelly? Kelly Scaletta. Yeah, yeah the, Kelly had the it. The second most points generated, either points or assists, in NBA history, only behind Wilt's 100-point game. So it's just my week. That's so ridiculous. My weekly reminder that i had him as the preseason mvp <laughs> and you guys mocked me so 
Uh, I was thinking about you when he did yeah. it. I was like, oh, <laughs> damn. I'm, I'm going to have to listen to Brian real soon. Yeah. Three months away from one of my one of the best victory laps in my life. But there's, there's still yeah. a lot of time. Uh, I also want to shout out Popovich. He gave Craig Sager Jr. the tie that he wore to Craig Sager's funeral. Uh, also, Pop flew to Atlanta to be at Sager's funeral the day the Spurs were playing in Houston. So just a reminder again that, you know, Pop comes off as this curmudgeon, you know, always gave Sager some trouble when he was on the sideline, but the guy, he's a a good human being. Uh, So we just wanted to shout out Pop. Sarah, do you have any uh, final dispatches from the Duncan retirement ceremony that you'd like to share or just going to keep those warm in your heart? (laughs) I just... Like Morton said, I thought everyone did a really great job. Yeah, Tony was really good. Uh, I was slightly surprised, but I don't know why, because he, he usually comes through. Manu. I think the one story that really stuck out the most to me was uh, Tony talking about Tim staying like 20 minutes to play one-on-one with Boban, just defense, to help, to help him get better. His 19th year in the league, you know, knee braces and everything, but he's working to try to help Boban get better. And uh, for Manu, you know, taking him to dinner after a, a rough playoff game. So those are the things that you, you, you're you not surprised at all to hear them. You kind of mm-hmm. knew that that kind of stuff went on, but it just confirms what you always, what you always thought about him. I'll also say the video that uh, his brother produced, Timmy's brother, I think Scott Duncan produced, was really great. I mean, it was perfect. Uh, I haven't seen the whole thing up on youtube yet i think maybe they had some trouble getting the rights for the song that that they had in it but uh there is a version on youtube if you haven't seen it it's really well nice. done tim gets to say his final goodbye so oh okay Appreciate i have it. not seen it so i will be checking that out after we finish up oh, here oh you yeah you, you need to see it sarah like did the entire at&t center cry when when tim uh told pop that he was like a father it was it was rough. <laughs> it was rough in there. I know that I was leaking tears the entire time. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I assume I wasn't the only one. I was like up at four AM watching it. Oh my god. And when he said that it was like the perfect touch mm-hmm. to to the end of this career because we always like everyone in the media always said like, Oh, they have this son dad relationship, you know, unofficially and then Tim fucking said it at the end it was like whoo yeah. yeah not crying i'm just chopping onions <laughs> yeah it's a little dusty in here yeah, at four at four in the morning <laughs> yeah it, uh. in the moment where where pop had like in the in the arena i couldn't tell it at first and then i realized oh he's he's struggling to get through this it's yeah. like, oh my god yeah. anytime you see him moved like that it's always always really so hard so hard and i want a statue of tony and pop's fist bump i want a statue of it (laughs) like a mechanical statue that moves so it does it all the time like that fist bump needs i have no understanding of why that fist bump has not become like a gif that we use on twitter daily that was epic yeah epic you know what? I don't think it, that it all was broadcast, but that whole thing was a really great moment because um, Tony had just said, oh, you have to be really mentally tough to play for pop, really mentally tough. And there actually was a moment in the arena where they cut to 
Pop, and Pop was making a face like, what's he talking about? You know, like he had no idea. And and they cut to Tim, and Tim was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. He's crazy. And then that was what precipitated the vote, where then Tony went over and did the fist bump. But it just was, you know, a reminder of what great chemistry those guys all had. And, mm. and it just was such a perfect fit. And we were so lucky to have that big three and that coach for as long as we did. Damn onions. <laughs> Damn onions. I liked all the, the jokes about his mom jeans, personally. That was... That was a nice touch. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Sarah, for sharing the, your dispatch from there. I'm glad it was. Uh, I'm glad it lived up to expectations. Uh, Definitely. We, as I mentioned before, I want to talk briefly about the Zach Lowe column. Uh, he just published it today on the NBA scoring explosion. Uh, you should check it out if you have not yet because it is fantastic. Like everything Zach Lowe writes. So a couple interesting stats here before we go into the discussion of it he says the nba smashes the all-time record for three-point attempts every season 31 percent of shots have come from deep this season up from 28.5 percent last season and 24 point percent in 2012-13 he says the league is on pace to break the all-time record in points per possession due almost entirely to the three-point bonanza and its ripple effects uh the league overall is pouring in about 105.5 points per 100 possessions, dead even with the three or four most prolific scoring seasons in NBA history. So, and he says offense tends to surge as the season goes on, so there's a chance this gets even more ridiculous, basically. So his question, or the, his column was basically asking, you know, is this a problem? Is this... You know, is it fun to watch these like 123 to 116 games, or does the league need to somehow intervene and change the rules so you know it's uh, harder to score a little bit? Uh, he mentioned a few solutions: softening hand check restrictions, abolishing a defensive three seconds call, uh, giving defenders more benefit of the doubt when you're. 50-50 charge block calls or using more zone defenses. So Sarah, I want to turn this to you because Pop is infamously very <laughs> very anti-three-pointer. Uh, do you think this three-point explosion is a problem that the league needs to intervene with or are you fine with the way the game is stylistically played today? I'm not sure about any of it. <laughs> I kind of go back and forth. I Overall, I don't think that anything so drastic as the, the league needing to intervene is called for. Um, it, it does make you kind of understand Pop's argument as far as with such a a trend towards just threes and layups or what you know. It it does kind of take away from other elements of the game of basketball that have been around forever. Um, Except for in San Antonio where Pop, is, you know, we have the majority of our points come from the mid-range. Or no, not the majority, but we have the highest percentage of our points coming from mid-range. Um, <laughs> I don't, it's it's interesting. I, I still, every now and then, if I see threes taken on the fast break, you know, I still kind of cringe. Because even our generation, it, you know, if we grew up with any coaching at all, you know, you, you were never allowed to do that. And... Um, 
I still prefer the sure two points over the maybe three, unless it's a guy like Steph or, you know, maybe Patty Bills, Danny Green, fine. But I still, I still like taking the points that you know you can get. Um, so it's weird. But overall, I, I think it is fun to watch. Every now and then you get those games where teams are just firing up a bunch of threes and not making them, and that's kind of horrid. But I don't think the league is really getting that many complaints so far this year. People are excited about the way Houston's playing. Um, obviously, Golden State <laughs> has its share of haters, but that's just because they're so darn good. Um, so, I yeah, I don't think that the league needs to change anything. What they can do is start calling fouls the way that they're technically supposed to be called, but it's kind of never happened that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's a league directive, like, I don't want to tear down officials, but just as far as the offensive players, yeah, pay attention to whether they're creating the contact or not. I know that's a hard thing sometimes to tell, but you know, as a defender, if if you're just occupying your space, you're supposed to be allowed to do that. And if somebody comes into you and they create the contact, then that should should either be an offensive foul or a no call. Just mm-hmm. let them miss the shot then or make the tough shot. But it's not a defensive foul. So that, that thing can change. I don't want to see more zone. I don't want to see them abolish defensive three seconds, I don't think. And I don't necessarily want to see more hand-checking. Although imagining Kawhi being able to hand-check is, is pretty fun. <laughs> but but uh, no, yeah, I don't want to see any, any of that happen. Yeah, Zach Lowe did mention uh, on that point about you, you saying that maybe just calling fouls more. Uh, his column, he does mention, it's hard to prove that most coaches in front of front office executives agree defenses get away with a little more bump and grind than in the mid-2000s. And he says the league has heard those concerns and is monitoring that. Um, so it sounds like it might be a league directive a little bit, that they're just mm-hmm. not necessarily calling every single foul because you don't you know you don't want every player to foul out every game basically uh yeah. it seems like that might be kind of the easiest tweak if they need to make changes but more you know your bulls uh your spacing devoid bulls uh have not benefited from this three-point revolution so how do you feel about the this you know this style of play do you like it do you think change well, <clears throat> I, I'm not really gonna argue against the effectivity, the the effective, um, the effectivity. I don't even know what that's called. How effective the three pointer is. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna argue against that because it's highly effective. Teams are gonna use the shot that they're gonna get, and that's the three ball. Mm-hmm. However, stylistically, I, I I mean I grew up a Michael Jordan fan. I loved the way he could manufacture mid range shots. Mm-hmm out of nothing, like, defensive could be draped all over him, and he would somehow, some way, find a way to get a shot off in the mid-range area, because that's that's that distance is more feasible to get a shot off from. You can't do that outside the three-point line. You have to be somewhat open, and you have to be straight on online. So, you don't get the highly acrobatic layups that Mike used to do anymore. Those have kind of gone away because now you're looking at the standstill shooter in the corner or you're looking for a wide open layup Mm -hmm. and again i get it i get why it's happening and i i love the fact that the nba has embraced it and it's because now it's all about mathematics and it's working it's it's making a better product Mm -hmm. 
Stylistically, though, yeah, I, I do miss the, the mid-range creational area, and I do miss, like, a Hakim Olajuwon post, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I mean, look, the post-up is one of those things that... It's so ineffective these days. Right. So ineffective, and I, I respect that. But good Lord, how I miss the post-up. Just how it looked, and how one could dominate the block on any given night. That that was gorgeous. Um I do think the power of balance has been switched a little bit over to the offensive player, as Sarah alluded mm-hmm. to. I think it's utterly ridiculous that Nikola Miritic can do a pump fake from 35 feet, get a guy vertical, and then jump into him <laughs> and get three free free throws. Right, right. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that's there's there's no business in that. And it's so, so obvious that when it's called, even if I'm rooting for Miritic, I'm sitting there going, ah, oh, come on. Yeah. That's weak. I mean, because I, I don't want to see the game be turned into mockery. And when it's called that way, it, it becomes a mockery mm-hmm. of the game. So do I want to see changes? Yeah. And I'm not entirely against handshaking either. I like handshaking. I like the fact that people could bump uh, one another and put two hands on people and try to guide them a little bit. I mean, again, I grew up with Mike and Scotty. <laughs> they were handshaking all the damn time. It was fun to see. Like they could force turnovers at mid court, which would get them out on the break. I love fast break basketball and handshaking. I imagine would create a lot of steals and would create a lot of fast break opportunities. And again, like Sarah alluded to, that would end in a slam dunk instead of a spot up three in transition, which is another play I also hate. I, I really do not like seeing a guy in front of everyone just pull up for a three instead of going in for the jam. Go for the dunk, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think both of you brought up some valid points. Uh, uh, you know, the, one of the big concerns mentioned in Lowe's column is um, he says, post-up bigs who can't shoot threes or defend similar players. He mentions Greg Monroe, Jalil Okafor, Al Jefferson, Anas Kanter, Nikola Vucevic. Uh, have already been relegated to bench roles. They worry that, you know, if this trend continues, they might just get played out of the league entirely. So, you know, in that regard, I can understand why there is some concern because, yeah, I mean, it it is, you know, those post-up bigs are, you know, a relic of how basketball used to be played. And it's going to be weird. You know, it's it's still, like, it still takes a second when you see... It's not even this new wave of like the unicorn, quote unquote, the town, the town, and then beating the Porzingis and Miles Turner pulling up the three that they've had that I still said since they came into the league, into the league two ago or two ago. Like, but like, seeing Lopez, Lopez, it's all about spotting up spotting up three point line. You're just like, you're just like, really? Like, teams are, you know, they know one is adjusting. I remember this, I remember this, it's a grizzly, it's a grizzly, it's a season, it's a season, and like, they just did not cover Marcus Saul behind the Point line, and he just ranged reason on that reason because it was like that's not in your skill set. We didn't know, we didn't know you can do that. Do that. So, so there's definitely some like cognitive dissonance there. That said, I mean, I, I also don't think the league needs to intervene all that much, at least not yet. Maybe if this becomes a trend over five years and viewership goes down, et cetera, et cetera, then they start addressing it. At this point, I think it's you know there's just not enough data to really make wholesale changes uh and i don't necessarily know that there's any evidence it's less enjoyable i think 
if you asked a casual fan, I bet they would rather see a game where both teams crack a hundred versus like a defensive battle where it's eighty five to seventy nine or something like that. You know, right, right. fans want to yeah. score fans want to see players score baskets. So I think mm. in that regard, you know, I don't think the league needs to intervene. I might just be pro this style of play because my team has one of the unicorns that you know that they have an Embiid who can comfortably catch and shoot and fire away from three point range, even though he's seven two. I feel like you know now now that that is in vogue, we're gonna see more big guys able to do that coming into the league. So I don't know, you know, we we have some of these, the Okafor and Jefferson and Greg Monroe, but like if they can't adjust their games, is it? really the league's fault like should the league adjust because these right. guys no. can't add that to their tool set like i think that's just something you know I, I, first of all it's not okafor's only problem like learning to cover a pick and roll <laughs> would be far more valuable um and then I, I i also think like a team is going to figure out a way the pendulum's going to swing at some point a team is going to figure out a defensive scheme to hamper these three-point heavy players, and you know, like in the in the um, in the low column, Gordon Hayward tells him, "We've already reached the point where we're willing to give up some twos, even near the basket, to prevent corner threes. So maybe a, a team sticks their you know their their starting center out in the as a corner three, drawing out the opposing corner or the opposing center, and then a team." has a free reign to the basket, you know? So I think there are going to be shifts. Coaches are going to figure this thing out, I think. So I don't think the league needs to intervene. I think you should let coaches have a shot at, you know, coming up with a strategy, basically like Tom Thibodeau did a couple of years ago uh, in Boston and then Chicago, and the whole league copycatted, and then this whole style of play came in. So I think... You know, in every sport, this is always how it goes. Like, there's some new, newfangled offensive system. Everyone tries to copy it, then someone comes up with a defensive way to stop it. Everyone copies that, and a new offensive system comes out. So, as you said, Mort, this is basic math. Three is more than two. At a certain point, yeah. you just have to weigh the efficiency um, of a certain shot before realizing, like, hey, I should be shooting a corner three rather than a post up. I earn. X number of points per possession on these shots, and they are more than the post-up. But I don't, you know, I, I think I, we can all agree that the league does not need to make radical wholesale changes just yet. We should wait to see how this plays out. Right. I, I, but one thing, though. Here's the thing. When you talk about the skill set of, for example, mm-hmm. Joel Embiid, I, I think it's great that a center can pop outside from a three-pointer that that's fine the thing is that nowadays you're seeking out the three consistently which is great but at times you're giving up wide open you know 12 foot push shots or even a dunk because oh hey no i need to get go outside and Mm -hmm. shoot the three at some point it just becomes too much at some point you have to look at the game and go all right three-pointers while amazingly efficient uh, seem to be the only shot that we're going to look at, disregarding the entirety right. of the floor. That, 
that's that's not something I would want to see as a fan. I would want to see a balanced offensive mm-hmm. game. I mean, look, I don't even watch the All-Star game anymore because they're just jacking up threes on the break. Look, the All-Star game is shit. <laughs> we all know that. But, but, but still, I mean, it's it's not entertaining to me to watch solely three-pointers. I mean, it's I want to see guys get challenged a little bit more. Again, I'm going back to Mike, and I know people will say, oh, you're old, and I am, and I'm sorry. <laughs> but look, I love the fact that he would take on four defenders, twirl his body, and, and somehow manufacture yeah. a shot. Like the the level of creativity in the body movements, that was what attracted me to basketball in the first place. Here's a man who somehow got around three to four people in a spin move while in the air. Now it's it's about spot up jump shots. And so from my perspective, and that's just me, and I'm old, and I'm, <laughs> I'm mad, and I'm angry, and just I, I should grow a beard and walk with a cane. But um, I I miss the creativity. Of where the league once was and i do think that the skill set in players today remains to, so the league could still have the possibility of being mm-hmm. that creative it's just not being utilized because oh my god right. the three-pointer right well you know maybe they start going again i kind of i think the pendulum is going to swing where teams are focusing so much on guarding three-pointers you're going to start giving up these open twos and even like you're going to have breakdowns where you give up open layups and a, a guy like you know yeah. a guy like Kyrie Irving I'm not gonna say he's MJ but he does have like he's one of the more creative he finishers does. in the league I would argue so yep. he there is. there is that style still there it's not as prevalent but it's not like it, it's not as extinct as Jalil Okafor is gonna be in two years <laughs> right I mean, exactly. even that, Steph that's fine. last night, I mean, you know, both both him and Kyrie are known more for their bombing, but they're really crafty mm-hmm. finishers. Just mm-hmm. just hold tightly to Kawhi, Morton. He really is, right now, the closest thing we have to that Kobe-MJ mold of the, the fadeaway, oh, the turnaround, yeah. mid-ranger. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, and I am. Like you said, I'm excited about the prospect of having more well-rounded players. I like, I like that Bigs aren't just told to go stand on the block mm. now. Mm. But, you know, that said, as as long as it manifests itself that way and not at the co- complete expense of, like you said, let's turn down a post-up or let's turn down an open 15-footer, you know, no, I still, I love mid-range and post-ups as well, as you guys know, yeah. so I don't want to see that disappear. But I still subscribe to the theory that history is cyclical, mm-hmm. so I still think maybe it'll kind of come back around. But maybe it won't. That's something to keep an eye on. You know, <laughs> threes will always be worth more than right. two. So maybe this is just the direction yeah. we're going. I definitely think you know yeah. a, a yeah. big man shooting threes that is going to be common, only progressively more common moving forward. Like the the genie's out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. There, we're not going to go back to a time where you know we're, we're going to prefer right. a Jaleel Okafor over Joel Embiid. You want a more well, unless you're Chicago, of course. Then you sign <laughs> right. Sean Rondo. That's true. That's true. They they might be like the last bastion of 1990s. They're just trying to make Chicago basketball great again, Morton. (laughs) Robin Lopez, Taj Gibson, and Rashawn Rondo in the starting lineup. Come on now. Yeah. Well, that was was a good talk, guys. I'm glad we could uh, hash that out. Let's now move into our final segment, our crushes of, I guess, of three weeks now, because we've had a couple weeks off for the holidays. So, Sarah... 
hit us with your crush of the last couple weeks. Danny freaking there Green. There we go. Because he counts as unheralded because he pretty consistently just gets down. <laughs> and, and Spurs fans are the biggest offenders, usually. Um, but he's been having a really good year, so of course you haven't heard about him. Like last year, it was all, what is wrong with Danny mm-hmm. Green? He can't, you know, he's not shooting, he's not making them. Somebody even complained to one of uh, the Spurs beat writers this year who apparently must not have been watching any of the games or something because they're like, is he ever going to get it together? Well, he's currently shooting 46% from three on the year, which is a career high. And over the last five games, he's shooting 55% from three. And he's also still the king of transition defense. Not not necessarily the chase down block like uh, LeBron or Jonathan Simmons is coming, but he just gets back and gets position and he's good at strip it. You know, he's always going to defend for you and he's hitting a three at a career clip right now. So I need to show Danny some love. I like that pick. As someone who owned him in fantasy yeah. basketball last year, I had the wrong side <laughs> of the Danny Green experience, but I'm glad that he's gotten his, his career back on track a little bit. Uh, Mort, how about you? Who was your crush the last couple of weeks? My crush uh, crush drained 75 three-pointers in December. The Chicago Bulls as a team drained 87. <laughs> so he was just 12 shy. Oh, my God. And that's that's nice. Eric Gordon. Yep. And, and he's my crush not just because of his three-point total. It's because he looks mm-hmm. healthy. And he's he's turning into the player we all thought he could be, and I love seeing that. He's sort of as I don't want to say redemption story entirely, but it's on the crust of it. But yeah, a guy making just twelve threes less than an entire team over the course of a full month. Yeah, I'll take that. That's pretty sick. I don't know. I, again, I don't remember where I saw this, so apologies if I'm lifting it from somewhere, but I. Someone tweeted out yesterday that four of the Rockets, it was Gordon, Harden, Ryan Anderson, and Trevor Ariza, had more three-pointers than any other team in the league, including Golden State. Yes. So, yeah, That's I think uh, we're going to – if that trend holds up, we're going to see a lot of Houston in the awards ceremony at the end of the year. You know, D'Antoni, Eric Gordon for six-man, Harden for MVP, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's been awesome to see him healthy. And, you know, after a couple tough years in New Orleans, and you can only hope that he stays healthy. Uh, but so far, so good for the Eric Gordon experience. And, Sarah, I'm really glad you mentioned Danny Green because I'm going to do the – this isn't even like a poor man's Danny Green. This is like the five-cent Danny Green. But <laughs> got to give a shout-out to my boy Hollis Thompson, who the Sixers waved yesterday. Uh, he was the longest-tenured Sixer from the process era, because technically he and Nerland's Noel both came to the team in 2013-14, but Nerland's missed his whole first season uh, with, while he was recovering from that torn ACL that he had in Kentucky. I mean, Hollis does not do much outside of catch-and-shoot three-pointers. He's dating back to his Georgetown days. He struggled when any time he was asked to create offense off the dribble, uh, but he's a 38.9% career three-point shooter. I think on the right team, he could have some value in that role and then maybe develop into a 3 and D guy, like a 12th man 3 and D guy. Uh, so I'm hoping that 
Hollis can latch on somewhere, gets claimed off waivers. He's on the hinky special contract, so it would cost basically nothing to take him. You know, Cleveland, if they are down so many warm bodies, might be a good fit for him there. But I do hope someone can uh, take Hollis and save him from having to go overseas because I think he showed, you know, frankly, coming out of Georgetown, uh, I did not, was not convinced he was an NBA player, and he proved me wrong during the last couple of years of his time in Philly. So I'd like to shout out one last time, Hollis Thompson, the original, the original gangster of the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to do it for us for this week of the NBA podcast. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Again, be sure to check us out on Twitter at the NBA pod. Find all three of our Twitter handles in there as well. Uh, check us out on iTunes and uh, download, subscribe, leave some reviews and FanRag NBA and FanRag Sports on Twitter who are being hosted this year, so check them out as well. Until next time, guys, I'm Brian Teporek, and I was joined by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. As always, it was great talking to you two. Likewise, Brian. You too. Hey, can I just say one thing yeah. before we go? I'm mostly happy with the way that the All-Star returns look, the Zaza craziness aside. I'm a little disappointed in where Mark Gasol is. Where is he? He's like 10th in the front court. What? He's oh, below Blake God. Griffin. What? I, I right. would have liked to see him as the starter, but you can't argue because AD puts up obscene numbers. But Memphis, it's time to mobilize. Come on, let's, let's get going. Mark needs more votes. Yes, hashtag NBA vote Mark Gasol. Hashtag NBA vote Joel Embiid. Let's get Mark Gasol starting, <laughs> and let's get Joe Joe a date with Rihanna. All right, until next time, everyone, have a good one. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clothes. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.